Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Theodore, under the PC, the person of Christ. To my right, your left is... Michael, the man behind the machine. And... And to my left, your right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. The reason Theodore's doing it, uh, the intro today is because I'm not really the front man for today's episode. This episode is going to be on 1st and 2nd Peter. And as many of the topics in the Found Cause podcast are, they're not generated from me. Michael behind the machine, it's either Theodore or Sebastian doing all the grunt labor work, reading things, and actually thinking, and I'm just here to be the pretty face of it all. <laughs> so instead of stealing the, the thunder, I want to give Theodore his chance to explain why we're talking about Peter today, what we want to glean from this episode. Um, I thought, uh, never mind. Um, we are talking about Peter because first and second Peter are very dense with theology um, and things that we should know. And one thing that I wanted to grab from it, because we've talked about Catholicism a bit, um, is that Peter, who uh, Catholicism says is the first pope, we can glean from his letters a lot of things that we would say even disagree with Catholic doctrine. And Sebastian's got a big soliloquy about Peter. Well, I was just going to say that for our introduction. Like, why would we even go over this? Normally, the the letters of, of Peter are something people don't pay too much attention to because they're dense. And, you know, they're like in the back of the Bible. Like, who? The people that aren't paying attention are dense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our face of the podcast, Michael. Hey, <laughs> his first dig. <laughs> right. Okay. What was I saying? Yes, yes. And then, of course, we have addressed all the claims that Catholics have laid out, how they are the one true church, all the beliefs that they have in the sacraments, Mary, the Pope, whatever. So, who do they say the first Pope is? Peter. Exactly. Therefore, since Peter has written a few things that not many Christians pay too much attention to in our Bible, I thought it would be the best to go... And see what wise words he has for us to go to the OG, the vicar of Christ, the another Christ, the other Christ, the Holy Father, and the Mary worshiper, Peter himself. Uh, all these all these things I'm saying, we may think that I've lost my mind, probably, but that's okay. That's another story. These are all titles that the Roman pontiff claims for himself. So he claims himself the Mary worshiper. Thousands <laughs> of that. Oh, ask if you asked John Paul II, he would have said, "Totus tua, I'm all yours to Mary." So okay, yeah, yeah. And actually, today I've been reading over some of the Marian prayers in preparation for uh, a Q and A Catholic event, and it is really concerning and disconcerting and whatever other words um how they speak about mary so just to echo that but. to you do i entrust for my eternal salvation neither mm -hmm. demons nor my nor my nor my lord himself right will be able to overcome yeah. Sebastian buys creepy mary prayer books and memorizes them apparently um, <laughs> that's a true story uh I, you've probably shown it on the podcast here before actually i think oh here. the glories of mary yeah, the glories of mary oh that's some <laughs> fine stuff right oh, there's the finest heresy you'll ever read the finest huh like a fine wine so and theater you're always like talking with these like interfaith groups you got that guy they mm -hmm. come on from the hindu temple and they're gonna go grill a priest and you're even talking jw <laughs> so we got like our evangelist right we've got our apologist over there and then we've got your 
you're a theology guy. Are we ATE? That was our original podcast theme was Apologetics, Theology, and Evangelism. Pretty good, guys. Pretty good trio. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to run through First Peter and then into Second Peter and pick out all the key points that you can glean from just First and Second Peter, um, mainly focusing on, on disputes that we have with Catholics, but also anybody that we think is just key theology we can get out of these two letters. Um, we had done an episode in the past on what you could get from just um, the seven undisputed letters of Paul. So this is kind of in a similar vein where if you don't agree with the theology of the New Testament, but you do ascribe to Peter's words for some reason, right? Just as the atheists, for whatever reason, ascribe to the seven undisputed letters of Paul, which are only undisputed by their own weird met, uh, standards and metrics. Um, we want to take just the letters of Peter and show how they also have the consistent once for all delivered faith to the saints. It's not a different faith given in Peter that you have to like combine up with the rest of scripture. It is truly the once for all delivered faith. Now we, of course, can do and read the entire Bible. We would never want to chop this up artificially, um, but we do want to take a, a specific view of the letters of Peter today and key out what theologic concepts we can get from them. So without further ado, let's start with First Peter, and in the very beginning of the letters of Peter, you'll notice one thing that I think is a dig to Catholics immediately, and I'm going to say this one because it's so easy, and I don't even need to read the letters to, to know this. Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder. He calls himself an elder in the church, and he doesn't call himself any special title. He doesn't call himself Pontific, Pontifex Maximus. Pontifex Maximus, Holy Father, Vicar of Christ. Right, he doesn't say any of this. He just says another elder which is the way any pastor would refer to himself if he was just a pastor. Now, he's head of the local church and an elder, an apostle, absolutely, but he was not a super apostle above the rest. So he was chosen by Christ as one of his 12 apostles, but in difference to the, the great weight that Catholics put on Peter being the first pope, he does not refer to himself like that. He refers to himself as just a fellow elder. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just want to clarify one thing for any fact checkers. It's first Peter chapter five, verse one, okay. where he actually uses the actual words fellow uh, elder. There you go. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that goes without saying that that's just a kind of a fun fact. I don't know that that's any slam dunk, but it is a good quip, I think, to have against Catholics who, again, have on very shaky traditional grounds say that Peter was the first pope when we have no evidence otherwise. Second thing we can glean from First Peter is Trinitarian aspects. And I think from chapter one, this one is actually from chapter one. Exactly. Yes. So as he starts just in his introduction, he's laying, he's just lays it as fact. He's writing to people who we, I mean, I've heard some people say, and I agree with this, that he doesn't really know who the, the churches he's writing to personally. He's just writing good, good messages to in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. And he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Right there. The three persons of the divine trinity. To whoever says, all the Unitarians out there, to say that God is just a monad. Or it puts different faces on. Right here, this really echoes what we see the verbiage throughout the New Testament, that it is the Father Christ says this in, in the Gospel of John. He's the Father is the one who gives the us humans to the Son, to Jesus. He's the one who seals the deal, and then it is the Spirit that transforms us. Okay, I mean, it's pretty pretty much it. Like it's a very concise summary. <laughs> All right. So now we don't disagree with Catholics on Trinity. They also agree in the Trinity. So it's not a particularly anti-Catholic point, but yes. it is a point that is important to get out of. We couldn't leave it out. 
that you can get the Trinity for maybe atheists who only agree with Peter's letters. I don't know what they might be thinking, but his theology is not different than Paul's or the rest of the New Testament. Equally, election, specifically divine election, if you're not familiar with the concept, this is the concept that God chose a people before time to be his, predestining them to eventually believe in him and that he would save them. So the, the concept that Jesus died for everyone and everybody has a shot, a chance to believe in him and that God just takes all the winners of that chance, the ones that actually choose him to be his um, without having predestined them is what we're refuting here. It's what this concept is refuting. Instead, this is the concept of having divine elect people who not by any of their merits, uh, it's not like the elect earn the salvation, but God chose a certain people to give his grace to. That's something that's seen in the New Testament from Jesus's own mouth, from Paul, and also from Peter and First Peter. And some people might make a really short phrase for the Catholic position, which is like saved by good works or saved by cooperating with grace. Mm -hmm. um, but then just in this introduction, we see that we are saved unto uh, good works or obedience to Christ. Right. We are saved unto uh, cooperation. We are not saved by. Which is the key difference. And, and we've seen it with Catholics before. And that is that. They say, don't you agree that you need to do good works if you're a Christian? And we all say, yes, yes, we need to, to show your sanctifying works. But it's not a need, i.e. you need to do it to be saved. It's a need because that's what's resultant of a true faith. So they say that sanctification is justification. And we would say that justification comes before sanctification. They're both involved, but you're not justified before God by your works. It's Christ, the one who justifies because he's the only one who's righteous. Right, and this gets us into another portion, similar portion of First Peter. The next few verses. That's about salvation. So there's a couple of different words that are used salvation. You're being saved by this, saved by that. But saved can mean many different things, just as elect or world or many other words can mean different things depending on where they're applied. So we would agree with Peter when he says something about salvation that is about works and salvation, but it's not justification salvation. It's a different kind. Yes, and something, a very important theme I've been going over at, in my church at least too is that and you see it here in Peter going from verse 3 his great mercy has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never per perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you so even from the introduction in verse 5 uh, oh, sure. reserved ahead, in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Yes, exactly, exactly. So first, I mean, I, wanted, I just want to say that you were saved. You will be saved as you're getting as you're getting from here. And also near the end by verse 9, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're being saved at this moment. Right. So as we went over before, Salvation, I would say, could be used as an umbrella term, whereas justification and sanctification are inside of that. You were justified, mm -hmm. past tense, it's done. Paul says, you were now that you've been justified in Christ Jesus, meaning it's done, past. You're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit right now. And then you will also receive your inheritance in the future. You will be saved eternally in the future too. Right. So how can we use the same word, past, present, and future? Well, I would say the authors of Scripture... You said that way, so I would say it's a very fair description mm -hmm. of what our situation is. How salvation has multiple aspects in that sense. Yeah, and proved right out. I mean, it's not proved, but it's evidenced right there by Peter using it in three different tenses, which tells you that salvation is in three different 
times her modes. Also, another theme that we see in First Peter, this one's kind of unique. This is one you brought up, Theodore, so I thought it was creative. Um, it compares women in Christ mm. to being in the faith lineage of Sarah, uh, wife, husband, yeah, wife of husband Abraham from Genesis. Sarah is also mentioned in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith and elsewhere in the New Testament, um, which is interesting. And you noted, Theodore, that it was interesting because... Can I just read the verse and then? Uh-huh. <clears throat> okay. First Peter 3, 5 to 6. For in this way in the former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And then Hebrews 11, uh, verses 11 to 12. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that or because of his age as many descend or and then he was born to sarah as many descendants um as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable as the sand on on the seashore um and catholics like to claim that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is basically the new Eve and the mother of all, but um, Mary is mentioned nowhere in these letters in the New Testament. Um, Mary is mentioned once in Acts, um, not even related to this, but Sarah is mentioned twice as basically the mother of the spiritually alive. Right. And so some of the, the Catholic language where they like to show in Revelation where there's the woman with the, the crown of 10 or 12 stars who's clearly representing Israel that gives birth to Jesus. Or, you know, we're all assuming these symbols, but these ones are pretty agreed upon. They love to, to show this as like glorified Mary or somehow Mary representing Israel when really we would be better served using the Old Testament as uh, grounds in the New Testament and how it references Sarah that this woman is clearly just Israel. You could make it just generic Israel, but if there's going to be any one woman who represents all of Israel, it really should be Sarah, wife of Abraham, and Abraham, of course, being the father of the Jews. So we're going to have to rework the prayer then to you, Dwayne, trust myself for my eternal salvation, Mm -hmm. Mother Sarah. (laughs) I don't think Sarah qualifies (laughs) for that one either, but yeah. Couldn't resist. At least a little closer. That's definitely our appropriate response. (laughs) (laughs) So again, unique. I haven't people mentioned that. Um, But yeah, I mean, the Mary obsession is pretty well documented in the Catholic Church. And so this is, again, showing that it's unfounded, that if you're going to be obsessed with anybody, it should be Sarah, and we shouldn't be obsessed with her either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then another thing we can learn from 1 Peter, hindered prayers. And this is when you'll hear people reference, and I think it's uniquely referenced in 1 Peter, this, this concept of hindered prayers. It's not a unique concept, but it's a unique phrasing. Do you have the quote? Yeah, First Peter 3, verse 7 is, You husbands in the same way live with your lives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And then verse 12 kind of um, encourages that. It's a seems to be quoting from the Old Testament. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil um and then we might find some answers for why is this so in james 4 verse 3 and chapter 5 verse 16 which are you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures 
And then verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. All right, so similar concepts there from James, but this idea that your prayers are hindered if you're not praying them with good heart. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so some would say that yeah, like there's some weird spiritual like spiritual attack concepts that people use this phrase for hindered prayers and there's a lot of like weird theology built off the fact that your prayers can be hindered a lot of it has to, to do with like that that god can't actually hear your prayers and there's some like mystical force behind it i don't think you have to mystify any of it i think you go exactly where you did theodore and that is to james and show how prayers are hindered in other ways from other epistles and that is that they're not doing what is righteous and therefore their prayers are hindered because they're not actually doing it at a right motive mm-hmm. so it's not that god can't hear you it's just that he's he's not going to answer prayers that are done at the wrong motive because otherwise your wrong motives would be um exacerbated right all right so we've got hindered we've done fellow elder peter we've got trinity from first peter we've got a divine election from first peter we've got different types of salvation from first peter we've got women following in sarah's lineage and not mary's uh, from first peter we've got hindered prayers is in first peter and now one of the things that i think of when i think of first peter is this whole concept of spirits in prison and jesus descending into sheol we don't have a lot about the afterlife in the bible in general um so it's unique when it talks about it and so this is one of the more unique times i think Yes, I would say I'm going to rearrange our order of topics because this other one starts right before the spirits. So it says, For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, or died, some verses say or died, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We're going to get then to what happened after he was made alive again. Mm-hmm. But what do you notice here? This reminded me a lot of Hebrews, where Christ also died once for sins. Meaning he's not like a... Recurring high, sacrifice like that's brought priest. up again and again and again and again and again. Yes, and Hebrews addresses this. He says, otherwise, if this was a repetitive sacrifice, Jesus would have had to be dying over and over and over again from days going back to millions of years. Right. To atone for all the sins that are out there in the world. He is remembered, not represented. Right. Exactly. And in addition, I think this also points to the whole divine election thing, and that is that God paid for exactly the sins he was intending to at the death of Christ. So there's no surprise sin that he that has that he has to do his payment over again for. He paid for all the sins that he was going to pay for on the cross. And therefore, if you have a therefore there's no rogue new sin that God wasn't expecting in the future and there's no rogue new person that he has to cover that he wasn't intending to cover when he died on the cross it's a once for all sacrifice yes and and they might say fair fair but we're not doing another sacrifice we're just thinking back and recreating that once and for all sacrifice and to that I say no I mean, I was going to say something stronger, but you know what? I'm just going to say no. More <laughs> diplomatic, you know? Well, it is true. If you ask, um, if you ask Catholics, because it's pretty close to home as far as Catholics that I've talked to that are close to me, um, that is what they say. And they say, like, the Jews, when they do Passover, it's like they're transported back in time to the original Passover when they do the Passover meal. But Except they're not. But they're not, though, right? And the Passover <laughs> meal was instituted as a remembrance of Passover, not a physical transformation time travel back into the original Passover. So you can take whatever weird mystical or rabbinic teachings you want to try to justify the Mass. But, of course, we're talking about the Mass and how Catholics believe that the priests can transform bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Christ. And then they reap 
presented to the congregation as a, another means of being saved from sin, um, another time, a refreshing of being saved from sin. An infusion of grace. An infusion of grace. And so they hold both at the same time that it is not another sacrifice because of all the problems that you'd have with it representing Christ, but also that it is a new reinfusion of grace. And therefore, it is another sacrifice because it's a new covering of your sin, not an old one. M- meaning the first one wasn't enough to cover your current sins. Right. And that's a problem because that flies in the face of what Hebrews and what Peter, the first pope, might I remind you, the OG the man himself, the one who's the other Christ who supposedly is able to call down Christ from heaven and into the host. So he's saying, so once and for all time deal, it's sealed, it's done. One would think that here or in Hebrews, the author would take the time to say, by the way, just like Passover, we have to recreate this when we gather together as fellow brothers and sisters and remember and then recreate the sacrifice of Christ. We're commanded to have the Lord's Supper, but there's nothing that says this is for the sake of recreating right. that once and for all type of deal. You'd have thought that would have mentioned that there. Well, not only is it absent, I think it's it's refuted when he says it's once for all. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And now we get to the part that you were mentioning before, mm-hmm. Michael. Spirits in prison. So, so remember, he was made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in body, but made alive in the spirit. Again, he resurrected. Christian belief from yep. day one, as we talked about with some atheists in the past. After being made alive... He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Who the heck are these spirits? Yeah, what is this, right? It's, it's unique to Peter, mm-hmm. I think. Like, unless Jude, we talk about the Jude reference, but it's unique to Peter to say this whole thing where he descends and, and preaches to spirits that were rebellious since the time of Noah. Yes, I did give a quick, actually, not quick, a long lesson. I'll give you a quick lesson now. From the Old Testament, we understand that in order to be in the presence of God, you need to be perfectly pure. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would melt away, explode, evaporate, whatever. You cannot stand in the presence of God. Well, at least humans aren't going to. Humans, yeah. excuse me. Yes, I should clarify. Humans. You need, this is why the Messiah came at all, to bring us back to the, to be, to be able to stand in the presence of God to be able to see God and not die. Mm -hmm. And if you lived during the time of Abraham, David, and other people, had Christ died in their lifetime, not yet, it'd be a thousand years later. Right. Therefore, they went to this place called Sheol in Hebrew, the grave. David talks about his son being in Sheol. And also it says, my spirit will depart to Sheol. When uh, King Saul went to that sorceress in Endor, where all the Ewoks are in. <laughs> Star Wars reference. I have to say that to my class. You know, the high schoolers remember that. Anyway, they, were, they remember it because of it. And calls up Samuel from the grave. He doesn't call it from heaven. He calls him from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So that's from Sheol, from the grave, where all the souls were waiting. And Samuel's a righteous man, so it's not hell. I.e. It's yes. Yeah. Gonna get, we're going to get to that again. I'm trying to make this as, as quick, as okay. quick yeah. as I can, but it's, it's, a, it's a deep topic. So, and then in this Sheol, there are two parts. Jesus brings these up where, where in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus goes to a place called Abraham's bosom. He doesn't go straight to heaven. He goes to Abraham's bosom, which is in Sheol, the grave, because Christ hadn't died yet. Right. And Abraham's there because Christ hadn't died there. He couldn't just magically float up to heaven. 
Abraham again being a righteous man. This is yes, good sign. Yes, exactly. He's on the good side of these of these underworld, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then the rich man goes to a bad place in this waiting room, Sheol. So there's two compartments. What I say is, when Christ died, he went. What I would gather from here, he went to the grave. Even in the Nicene Creed, we say this too. In Spanish, we say he descended to the hells, but I don't yeah, think we said in English too. But sometimes we say Hades to the grave. In, yes, in English now. Yes, Hades. That would be a better word, Hades. Yeah, Sheol in, in Greek, and then he preached to the imprisoned spirits. So I would say, as I as I. It's a good reminder. He went down there to bring out Abraham and friends because now he had finally died. He had paid for sins. He had sealed the deal. These people who were looking to Christ for the future, for the future Messiah to come, they trusted in him. Looking forward, we look back to Christ. They looked forward. The deal has been sealed. It's been taken care of. Now he can take them home to God's throne room because now that they are pure in spirit, they can be in the presence of God. Whereas Christ, I would say, he went down there to give the finger to all the other bad spirits and all the sinful people that willingly rebelled. I'm, I'm, I'm embellishing here, okay? I know I'm embellishing a little bit, but it's, it'll make you remember. And then to there's the other compartment called Tartarus in Second Peter. We'll get to it later. Or now. Now? Now is later. Later is now. Well, we can refer to it now. So we, we're not in Second yes. Peter yet. We're in First Peter. Yes, yes. There's this other place, Tartarus, where all these evil demons were there evil evil angels evil spirits were captured there so i would say jesus proclaimed it is done it is sealed see ya and left with abraham and friends Mm -hmm. after three days exactly yep so we get i mean some of that's right in um but we get the fact that he died descended preached the spirits there and then rose again from first peter i'm putting this all together from all the old testament and also from the gospels and it's an it's not a point that's followed by many christians big or small um, so we're willing to hear your thoughts about it in the comments, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's pretty um, clean view of the references we have to Sheol and heaven and the New and Old Testament. Um, we've got another famous line about baptism is in First Peter about baptism not just being the washing of dirt from your body. It's in fact right after, right after this one. Am I right? Because it reads, and you probably want to talk about this here. To those who were disobedient long ago and no waited patiently in the days of excuse me, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Mm-hmm. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's another where you might be um, asking, how does it save you, right? And Lutherans are like really spastic about this where they say baptism saves you baptism saves you and when usually when people say saves these days especially we mean like in the ultimate sense in the justification sense but in this case this saving of baptism is not the baptism isn't justifying here it's the pointing towards the faith that justifies and then equally peter is saying that the water or the washing itself is not what's magical right um so when you baptize a baby who has no promise um, that's it's it's just washing them with water, and Peter would be refuting that kind of baptism. So it is kind of weird that Peter Baptists use verses, I guess any verse about baptism they point to and somehow make it to themselves. But um, this one I would say also refutes Peter Baptism just because it shows that the actual washing, the actual ceremony, is useless. It's about the heart behind it, the faith behind it. 
Yes, they also conveniently ignore the verses. I forget exactly which book, but it says that women will be saved by childbearing. I mean, right. are, are we going to say now that giving birth justifies you before right? God? No, we, we insist on saying that birth saves. I mean, it's biblical, but it's not the kind of salvation that you would normally be talking about. And last but not least, certainly, and these are just some major points we get from First Peter. There's a famous, very famous uh, verse, because I think it's the only, it's, again, it's unique to Peter, where he talks about Scripture being Spirit-inspired. Do we have that one on hand? I do. From First Peter 1, 10. Again, he's just dropping, he's just dropping all these facts. And again, he's assuming that the audience is familiar with the Old Testament and then also with teachings received from the apostles about Jesus Christ. Which says a lot because most of these people in these regions would have been Gentiles, which again, they you have to have some understanding of the Old Testament for most of these things to make sense, which I find very fascinating from a historical point of view. Anyway, anyway, First Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Get a lot from, from this. Mm -hmm. So the prophets were indwelt by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. That's what I would get. I mean, I would say as a fair interpretation. Again, showing that the Trinity was present in the Old Testament, not just the Christophanies, but many times the Spirit indwells, not just in the temple in Jerusalem, but also in certain specific people like prophets, Samson, and others. And then, not only also did they write to events and issues that were relevant in their time, like Isaiah, but also they wrote about things that wouldn't happen in their lifetimes at all or even in the next 500 800 years like again like Isaiah or David when David writes about you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek he's probably like what the heck am I writing here because he is not a priest the high priest is definitely not in the order of Melchizedek mm -hmm. and when he writes other messianic psalms all the people I know in my life are not immortal so why am I writing this okay Clearly, like, and they understood that this is a future event, but they, under, they, they also saw that God would fulfill them later, which I find fascinating that even they were like speaking on behalf of God right. through the Spirit, but they also in their heads understood, oh, this is going to happen in the future. So I find that very cool. Well, it's the mysteries of Christ, right? I think mystery is one of those words that should be banned in church because it's overused <laughs> and misused terribly. Um, but... There are, I mean, the Bible does reference mysteries in Christ. I just think most mysteries in Christ are actually revealed mysteries. They're already revealed. And so one of the mysteries of Christ is how is he in the order of Melchizedek, right? They were waiting on Messiah. How was he going to be in the order of Melchizedek? How would he die but also see his offspring? Of course, we know the answer. Jesus rose from the dead. He's God himself, God in the flesh, all this stuff, right? So one of the mysteries was how was he going to be in the order of Melchizedek? And of course he was. Yes, and there's a quick glimpse into what's happening in heaven. I can just imagine... Again, to make you remember this, as I do with my class, the angels are eating popcorn in heaven, like watching. It's like, how is this going to unfold? And they're just like, yum, 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 chewing popcorn and watching all some of this manna? history. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> some, <laughs> some um, uh, popcorn made out of manna, as they normally eat. 
All right. Did you have anything else from First Peter that we should touch on? Probably not, because we got to fly. But uh, I do. <laughs> well, do it. Speak to your <laughs> I'll fly heart. Fly. Um, First Peter four ten to eleven. <clears throat> this emphasizes that uh, like grace and gifts as as opposed to merits. Um, it says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do it as the one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then mm-hmm. 1 Peter 5, verse 10, to conclude 1 Peter after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Right. And that that's, first of all, a great blessing to attend church with, but it's also reaffirming that God is the perfecter of our faith, not ourselves. So we are beneficiaries of that. We we ourselves get perfected. So you could say we cooperate in that way, but it is God instigating it. It's God actually finishing it. So it's not our wills that are doing it. It's God. All right, well, let's flip into Second Peter, which is a shorter book, and we have less um, new things coming from it. Um, but I'm going to start with one of the, the oft-used things that come out of Second Peter, especially these days with the pandemic and all the church responses to government shutting down churches and whatever else and the politics that have been involved in church. There's a verse in Second Peter, and there's also in Romans 13, that both talk about submitting to governing authorities. So the one in Second Peter um, is, I think, very contextually... Um, important you know the context of when it's said in second peter second peter talks about submitting to the emperor and to the government um, in all things because the government is a punishment to evil and that they don't bear the sword in vain so those things i say show the context for when you obey government when they are punishing evildoers and when they're administering capital punishment and so if the government is overreaching its balance, which we've talked about, I'm being brief on this because we've talked about it in other episodes about how to properly apply the law and when do you rebel against the government or not. Um, we've touched on it explicitly in that episode. So if you want to see more on, on this topic and why I'm saying this, you can go to those episodes. But I think this is an often misused quote to say that if the government says something, you must comply. And I would say you actually have to look at the sphere that the government is saying it in because the government often tries to overstep its God-given bounds. But within its God-given bounds, you do obey the government. But with the outside of its God-given bounds, you are not obliged to obey the government. You might still do it, but you're not obliged to. So I wanted to call it out because it's often misused today. A second portion of Second Peter that we, we can gather from is that faith is given and that it's Christ's righteousness. I don't know if we have a, a quote ready for that one, but on the same theme that it's not our faith, but Christ's faith in us and Christ's righteousness in us that saves us. Oh, well, yeah. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, so the very first verse of Second Peter mm-hmm. is Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. And again, emphasizing by the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness but God's and we are imputed his righteousness which is great meaning we don't sit on our own merits that is Christ's righteousness instead mm-hmm. and then I would say that even that echoes because we've been going also with the epistle of James how the result of the righteousness is what gives you the faith so if you're a scoundrel or a hooligan and you say you're a Christian but there's no fruit in your life 
but probably shows that you haven't been justified by Christ because there sh you should be you said by their by their fruits you will know them therefore your faith is going to show itself it's going to live out in, diff in different ways in different people as a result of being placed under the righteousness of Christ right and then he also says therefore my brothers and sisters make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so he's saying confirm verify he's not saying get merit as the catechism of the Catholic Church would say mm -hmm. he's actually saying confirm your calling and election so you were called you were elected therefore give the thumbs up that you've got it yeah indeed indeed another thing that i gleaned from peter and you get it not just from second peter but also first peter but there's just another good line from second peter is that peter's not afraid of insulting other people and you do have to be careful <laughs> with this one because there are men who inappropriately insult and i'm not i'm not immune from that as well and jesus does say whoever says to his brother you fool um will be judged accordingly right or those who insult their brothers and sisters will end up in hellfire um so we do want to be careful about how we insult but to those who deny the gospel to those who distort the truth of god to those who are children of the devil christ does not withhold insult and, and attack and nor does peter or the apostles so peter's no different he calls people unstable and conceited and twisting the scriptures and what else there's a certain line from second peter i'm looking for ignorant and unstable ignorant and unstable i think that's from first peter right in any case he calls people ignorant and stable. He has some insults in there. So if you are talking about truly an enemy of the church, I do believe that you are clean in using good insults. And you should use strong language. You should not be kissy-kissy with the enemies of Christ. But you don't want to make an enemy out of a friend of Christ. And so you do need to be careful when you insult. But clearly it's not against the rules if the apostles are doing it. Yes, and it's it's not really accusing. It's just showing how the anyone who twists the letters of and teachings of paul confirming that they are scripture because he says as they do other scriptures right this is also with historically talking about some judaizers and gnostics that would eventually come into the scene and also the apostle john speaking of gnostics uh, when mars when marcion meets him and asks him do you not actually know polycarp john sprints out from a from a bathhouse in his bathrobes when he sees a heretic in there and says Everyone get out, otherwise the whole building is going to collapse with us from the wrath of God. Polycarp meets Marcion, one of the disciples, the uh, students of John, the apostle. And then Marcion asks him, who's a Gnostic, do you know who we are? Polycarp says, I know the firstborn of Satan, and walks away. So yes, there are appropriate and uh, insults that you can lay out. Likewise, Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Right. So it's not... You have to be careful that you're not petty, that you're not doing it for your own pride, but rather there's righteous anger that you can lay out. I would caution on that. If you're not ready, if you're easily angered, easily triggered by your own pride, hold your horses for a bit. Right. But if you have grown in your faith, if you're normally a stable person, ironically, you can lay out those insults, I would say, righteously. The last portion of Second Peter that we're going to talk about today is one that special. I think is particularly fond of your heart, but I think it is to any Christian, and that is some steps to sanctification that are laid out in Second Peter. Yes. In my work, in my life, I like charts. I like graphs. I like making lists of things. And Peter just so that does. Mm -hmm. Twinsies. Twinsies. I like it more. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're also, you're also as, an, as an engineer, so you probably like that too. So 
in Second Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, uh, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So these are fruits of the Spirit, I would say. This is what your sanctification actually looks like. And as I said, I like charts. So, well, I don't think you should be like with weights and scales measuring where you stand in front of God, because I don't think that that physically can't be done. Mm -hmm. I think it is a good reminder of how you can continue to grow. Maybe you're sitting there, I felt this way too. What should I be doing now, God? I feel like I've got this down. I've memorized, I'm exaggerating, I've memorized the Bible. What do I do now? Right. I think Peter can walk us through and explain what can you do with your faith. So yes, you know all these things. Great, put them to practice. Do you uh, insult everyone as you're as when you road rage on the road? Hold your tongue. Right. Says, uh, from from the heart comes out all kinds of malice, as Jesus says. Hold, control yourself. <coughs> Self control. Persevere in your faith. Do you feel like you stumble easily in sin? practice not only self-control but then persevere in your dedication towards the lord i just hit this and then of course that's going to give you godliness you're going to be consistently walking as christ would walk on earth by his grace and then because if you're doing that you're naturally going to show the love of christ to others you're going to have mutual affection philia it's used in greek they use two words in english but whatever philia brotherly love to others and then finally, the pinnacle is agape, which is the self-giving love that God gives for us. It's usually there's that distinction between just casual, you know, I, I care for you, pal, like that. Whereas I will serve you, I will die for you if need be, which is what's described of God's love for us. So we will embody Christ. We're, we will be made into the image of Christ. So in this life, we're being shaped into the image of Christ. We were saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. So I think it's part of the story of God, of how we, in our lives, go through all these struggles, go through all these steps, and will eventually receive the full glory that Christ has prepared for us in heaven. Yeah, amen. Thank you for attending my sermon. <laughs> and do you have any closing points from Second Peter? Yeah. Peter, before we close it? I can conclude with Second Peter 3, verse 9. Um... The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so like and subscribe and share and evangelize and smash that like button. <laughs> Just kidding. Absolutely, yeah. Because we are the only way that you can be saved or others can be saved. Just kidding. But yeah, I, that's a pretty famous one. And, you know, it's kind of Arminian as far as like, oh, the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. I think you again read it in context. Doesn't want anyone of those who are going to come to him to perish. Same as Jesus said, he doesn't wish that any little ones perish or fall away. I think it's the exact same spirit. Um, but in any case, that's the reason we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine. To my left has been Theodore, under the PC. The and person to his left has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper.
Thank you for listening. And hopefully, if you're Roman Catholic, you found something useful about that, at least you're a butt. And if you're not Roman Catholic, hopefully you saw that even if you just take one writer of two books of the Old Testament or New Testament, which there are many, that you can get all of good Christian solid theology even from that. There are, of course, elements that are only found in the Gospels and other epistles, um, but the core of the Christian message is found in Peter's writings, just as it is in Paul's or the Gospels or wherever else. So thank you for listening. Until next time, when we talk about something completely different, you can find our podcast and the rest of them on spotify or itunes or google play store or i don't know where you download this podcast you can find it everywhere on youtube too at youtube.com forward slash found cause or at facebook.com forward slash found cause until next time we talk about something completely different see ya bye bye bye